Uh, I am not sure if you are all aware of this or not, but we are in the middle of a hot and dry summer. Right? No one ever talks about the weather. Right? No one ever complains about the weather. It just kind of happens, and we don't really talk much about it. Right? No, we are all very aware that it is hot and it is dry. We are in the midst of a drought. There have been record-setting temperatures in the last couple of months, and uh, it has wreaked havoc that is actually visible. Right? Um, just in my yard alone, in my little habitat, um, there are signs of it being hot and dry. Uh, I think we had a pretty early spring this year, and so I was super excited because our fruit trees and our grapevines, they just exploded with fruit, and our flowers were looking so good, and it was promising to be a great harvest, right? Not that I'm a farmer or anything. We have a couple of fruit trees. Uh, but we were so looking forward to uh, enjoying some good peaches and some grapes. I was determined that I was going to get the grapes before the possum did this year. But it got so hot and so dry so fast that our uh, fruit just sort of stopped growing. It was too hot and too dry for it to continue on. I kept tasting the grapes, even though they wouldn't get any bigger than just about a pea size. I kept tasting them, wondering if they were ever going to sweeten, but they were always sour. And then the peaches just started falling off of the tree. It was too hot for them to cling to life. They just gave up and fell to the ground. The flowers that were beautiful and luscious just sort of dried up and returned to the dirt, waiting for next year. There are signs of heat and drought all around us. The other day, I was driving through my neighborhood, and something captured my attention. You know, when you're walking along or driving along or moving along, and then all of a sudden, something just stands out to you and grabs hold of your attention, and you just sort of stop and pay attention to it for a while. And what grabbed my attention as I was driving through my neighborhood was a beautiful green luscious yard with beautiful green flowers in the flower bed. And it was like an oasis in the middle of a desert. It just stuck out so much. And as I slowed down in front of their house, looking at their beautiful yard, I noticed that the homeowner was out there watering their plants. I kind of went on and didn't think much about that experience for the rest of the day. But as I was coming back home in the afternoon, I drove by and again, it stuck out like a, to me, it stood out to me. And there was the homeowner still working in their yard, watering and caring for it. See, it wasn't green and lush because uh, of the uh, hot and dry sun. It was green and lush because in spite of the hot and dry sun, the homeowner was spending their time, their resources, their abilities to take care of it, to care for it. I would hate to see their water bill, but they spent time to make sure that their grass was nurtured and well 
watered. I was struck by the contrast between their yard and everyone else's yard. So much so that I turned that experience into a prayer, and a prayer specifically for our church. And the prayer went like this. All around us are signs of drought. Uh, Jeremy and I, this wasn't part of the prayer, just sort of the context. Jeremy and I read a book uh, recently that was talking about um, connecting with people as a church and how do you connect with new people. And one of the things that they said is that people who aren't in the habit of coming to church, that there are typically five things that might motivate them to start coming to church. And the author of the book called these things the five D's. Okay, and I just want to read you this list of these five things. And as I read it, it'll make sense to you once I've read it. Just think about sort of the heaviness of these situations. Okay, so here are the five things that typically will lead someone who's not in the habit of going to church to start uh, going to church. Divorce, death, development, displacement, disaster. That is a pretty hard list, right? It's a hard list to read. Actually, one of the reasons why we started that moment of prayer where we would consider the fruits of the Spirit is because we understand that all of us in this room are dealing with things that are hard in our lives, right? Issues of health concerns, relationship concerns, um, maybe with uh, concerns about um, the way that things are headed in our world. Whatever it is that we are dealing with, oftentimes those things weigh heavily upon us. And when we talk about being a place that is hospitable and welcoming to uh, new people, we want them to have a moment where they can simply be present and understand that in the midst of the difficult and the heavy and the frustrating things of life, that we can have even just a moment of peace that will provide for us perhaps a little bit of respite. But these are real life situations that affect our neighbors and affect us in deep and profound ways. And so back to my prayer as I drove past my neighbor's green and lush lawn, my prayer was that us at Journey would be laser-focused, not on solving people's problems, but on being so formed into the image of Jesus that we would be a place of grace and peace that the grace and peace of Christ would be as visible here as a well-nurtured and watered lawn in the midst of a drought. But this is a tall order, right? This is something that requires discipline, requires action, it requires activity, It doesn't just happen. Like the neighbor's yard wasn't uh, just their good fortune or good luck. They meticulously cared for their lawn in order for it to look so nice in the midst of such harsh 
circumstances. It requires an investment of abilities and influence and resources. It required their time. But the good news about a disciplined life, a life lived, focused on the way of Jesus, the good news of that is that the result of that is what the scriptures call the fruit of the Spirit, right? The love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And those things fill our lives, creating an environment of grace and peace where the Spirit is present. I want to reread a portion of the scripture that Jeremy read earlier. Um, Colossians 3, he let, read verses 1 through 11. I want to begin in verse 8, and here is what Paul writes to us. He says, Now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is what? in all, is all, and is in all, right? Sorry, I uh, misread that for us, right? Christ is in all and is all. Now, as we read at least the first part of that passage, we might be thinking, oh, here we go with the rules again. But when we take a moment and stop and think about it, the frustrated and fragmented parts of our lives are oftentimes because of these things, these attributes that Paul told us to rid ourselves against. Right? Sometimes things happen in lives that are beyond our control, but oftentimes the difficulties and frustrations that we face, particularly in relationships with others, are often because we have uh, attributes in the way in which we interact with others that, le- that uh, tend or trend towards frustration. So it's not so much about following these rules in order to just keep the rules, but rather because these things help us in relationships with one another. But Paul doesn't just give us the rules and tell us what to do and just end it there. He continues on, and in verse 12, he says this, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you've rid yourself of these things, right? So now clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If anyone, any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Eugene Peterson in the message writes it like this, Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing on your own thing. And cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. These words from Paul capture the prayer of us being well nurtured and watered like a lawn in the midst of a drought. Right? Um, I remember back several weeks ago, uh, I talked about the care that our garden around our house requires. Um, we were very fortunate to purchase a house where the person before us set up these beautiful spaces that are just a joy. Kelly and I sat um, in our backyard yesterday uh, in the evening as it rained, and it was just such a peaceful and a, a beautiful place for us to enjoy. And we were so thankful for um, all of the hard work that uh, the homeowner before us did and then what we maintained. But we, a couple of weeks ago, we used the illustration of us talking about weeding the garden, right? You know that where flowers grow, where fruits grow, where vegetables grow, weeds also grow, and so you have to pull them. And if you wait too long, you will have a real mess on your hands where you have to spend a long time bent over and crouched down, and it's even worse than falling off of the end of a slide for your lower back, right? It's, it's a painful situation when you're pulling weeds. Your fingers get numb, and you, your, your, uh, your legs and your back just begin to ache. And so you sort of do it as you go, right? You take a bag of trash out and you pull four or five weeds or, you know, you spend a few minutes here and there and, and take care of it. And then, of course, you have to do your large maintenance. But the thing about it is that if you were to come over to my house today, you would find very few weeds in our flower beds. But you know what else you would find very little of? Flowers. And all of our plants are looking a little bit stressed. The reason is because just ridding ourselves of things, just pulling the weeds, just getting, being people who aren't angry, who, um, who don't have fits of rage, that is not enough, right? You have to replace that with something. There has to be some well-nurtured fruit being watered and cared for in its place. I've recently dusted off a few books 
um, that I read uh, some of them many years ago, um, but books from people who uh, know what it is to live in the kingdom of God, people who uh, seem to trust the way of Jesus above all else. And one of those books was written by a guy by the name of Frank Laubach. Uh, Frank was a missionary. Uh, he was born sometime in the late 1800s, and so his missionary career was in the early 1900s, maybe to the middle uh, of the 1900s. He actually is the only missionary uh, that has had a stamp from the U.S. Postal Service dedicated to him. Well, that's pretty cool, right? Uh, to have a postal stamp with your likeness on it. And the reason why uh, he received an honor of being having his face on a postal stamp was because he was a champion in literacy. Uh, he did most of his work in the Philippines, uh, and again, early in the 20th century, uh, you know, it's a lot different then than it was now, of course. And uh, he believed that uh, the first step in freedom often began with being able to read. Right? So he uh, taught people to read both here in the United States and abroad, which is why he was uh, recognized with the honor of a stamp. But one of the other things that he uh, focused on he sought in his lifetime that not even a single moment would pass without him being aware of Jesus. Think about that for a minute. He believed that through reading scripture and spending time in prayer that every moment was a moment where one could encounter the grace of and peace of Jesus. But that doesn't just happen, right? It's not something that just happens. It requires a great amount of investment of resources and disciplines in order to have that type of awareness. But one of the gifts that Frank Laubach left behind is a game to play, right? He actually authored what was called The Game with Minutes. Now, you won't find this uh, as a Hillsborough game or um, whatever the other game companies are called. You won't be able to go to Target or Walmart and be able to purchase this game. However, I did uh, print out the instructions to this game, right? Uh, and there's actually 11 pages of instructions for this game with minutes. And I want you to take this home uh, and uh, read through it as you are able and just see if there's any inspiration for you. But the uh, <clears throat> reason why he came up with this game was in order to help people try and be more mindful of God. He believed, as it says here underneath the game of minutes, that Christ is the only hope of the world. And if you don't read anything else, just read this first um, paragraph here. But he talked about how uh, few people are able to be aware of God for more than 10 minutes a week. Think about that. People are just so 
uh, caught up in other things and distracted that uh, there is that we are so uh, limited in our awareness of Jesus. So being a joyful person, being a loving person, he authored this game. And so you can get the detailed version of the rules if you want to, but I'll give you just the, the short synopsis. So what Frank suggested is that you would set aside a period of time. Right? He suggested an hour. That was back in the early 20th century where our attention spans were probably much longer. Uh, maybe you would shoot for 10 minutes or 15 minutes to start out uh, in this game with minutes. But pick a time, uh, a time of leisure or a time where your mind isn't fully consumed with something. So not while you're uh, reconciling your checkbook or not while you're in the midst of doing your uh, work, but uh, maybe while you are weeding the garden or watering the garden, or maybe while you're exercising, or um, maybe while you're uh, spending time cooking or something like that. But a time where your mind is not fully focused on uh, a task, but set aside a period of time and try during that period of time to be mindful of Jesus at least once per minute. So if you chose 20 minutes of time while you were out for a walk with your dog, try each and every minute to be mindful of Jesus at least once. So maybe you just say the name of Jesus, and that is a minute where you were mindful. Maybe you offer one of the, the breath prayers, like what Jeremy was talking about. One of the prayers that alerts me on my phone three times a day to pray is a simple prayer. It's called the Jesus Prayer. Uh, this is, Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. Um, it can be just mentioning the name of Jesus. It can be offering some sort of breath prayer. But just calculate, keep track of how many minutes in the given time period you can be mindful of Jesus and just make a score, right? Like one minute or out of 20 minutes, maybe you did 18. And then uh, the next time you do it, you can try and get more. And then if you have mastered the 20 minutes, then you add an extra 10 minutes or so, however you want to do it. But just being mindful of Jesus. The idea behind this discipline is simple. It's that the more that I am mindful of Jesus, the more grace and peace will abound in me. Uh, when I was a kid, we would, um, our family vacations would often, it would always involve road trips. Uh, my family of five would travel in the car, sometimes up to 12 or 14 hours to whatever destination we were driving to. And we weren't allowed to have um, any of the electronics. Um, we had to pass our time with, you know, talking to one another or listening to music or um, playing some sort of interactive game with my brothers and sisters. And so one of the games that we played was the slug bug game. Right? You see a slug bug, and you slug somebody. Right? Whoever's sitting next to you, you shout out slug bug, and you punch them. Anybody ever played that game? Right? Um, so then somewhere along the way, they started 
coming out with new slug bugs, right, that were more modern in their design. And so we added an element to the game that if you saw one of the older slug bugs, you get to hit somebody twice. But if it was a newer one, you could only hit them once. I haven't thought about that game in years. But the other day, I was driving Evelyn and her friend to um, where we were going, and uh, they both started yelling out, not slug bugs, but Tesla. Right? They see a Tesla, and then they would slug each other. I was like, wow, this, the game lives on. It has been renewed. And so Evelyn, one day, she and I were driving later, and she saw a Tesla, and she called it out, and then she slugged me. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a little old school here. You can only, you can't slug me for these new Teslas. You have to find a slug bug in order to slug me. Uh, and so we, uh, she was like, I don't know what a slug bug is. So I had to teach her about that. But when we were on vacation last week, we were driving around and apparently uh, where we went in Florida has a high concentration of Teslas. And so uh, she just kept, punching Jonas over and over and over again. And I finally said, Evelyn, you can't do that. You can't punch him anymore for Tesla. You got to give him a high five, right? You can't, no longer can you punch. But Jonas was excited because we ended up renting a vehicle and we rented, a, ended up getting a Jeep, like a Jeep Wrangler. And one of the ones we can take the top off. And he thought that was the coolest thing in the world. He just kept saying over and over again, I can't believe we have a Jeep. I can't believe we have a Jeep. And so he added a new dimension to the game, Jeep, that when you see a Jeep, you could slug somebody. And again, we had to modify it that, no, you can't slug them. You have to give them a high five because slugging them just ends up in fighting and it's not good. When you are looking for something, when you are trying to be aware of something, you realize how prominent and prevalent it is. When you just start looking, probably not for slug bugs anymore because they're not a very common car, but if you drive home and count the number of Jeeps that you will find, you will be amazed at how many Jeeps you are always passing by, but you very rarely recognize. So it is with the presence of Jesus. When you are mindful of Jesus and grace and peace abound in you, your neighbors will notice and will not only notice, but will be blessed by the presence of Jesus within you. So as we go throughout our week, you know, uh, oftentimes when we get together with people, it seems like what binds us together, what unites us with people who we don't know very well or don't have much uh, in common with are all the things that are wrong with the world. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I, I don't know how, what the percentage of conversations we spend on things that are negative in nature, but we often get caught up in the heaviness and the frustration and in the difficulty 
of life. And as people of God, we are not immune to these difficulties and these struggles and these frustrations. Jesus never promised us that life would be easy. In fact, he didn't only not promise us that life would be easy, he said that life would be difficult, that life would be hard. And following me adds a, even a more difficult or a harder dimension in life. But when we are able to be aware of the grace and peace of Jesus, when the presence of Jesus fills our lives, we are able to see the beauty that sometimes is only coming in through the cracks, but is present nonetheless. And us being people of grace and peace is oftentimes the best blessing that we can offer to our neighbors. We don't have to try and solve all the world's problems. Right? You and I could sit here and talk for days about all that is wrong with the world. And we can scroll through on Facebook and see all of the things that are wrong with the world. We will never be able to solve those problems. But we can be people of grace and peace that are slowly moving in the direction of more love, more patience, more peace, more joy, more gentleness, more kindness, more self-control. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are grateful that you are always with us when we are aware of your presence and when we aren't. So Jesus, would you give us the grace of being mindful of you? Would you give us the discipline of paying attention to your grace and peace that is at work all around us. And in doing so, as you highlight the things in our lives that we need to rid ourselves of, would you also give us the wisdom of and the discipline of how your spirit works in us to replace those things with the beauty of your kingdom. May we be as a well-nurtured and watered lawn in the midst of a drought. We ask these things, Jesus, today in your name and for your sake. Amen. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.